0: here this morning. <laughs> Suck, you should have come. Um, you're here now though and that's what counts I guess. You're here now. Let's see what God has in store for us.
1: We're
0: going to talk about worship uh, this evening um, and it might be a different perspective on worship that you've heard before uh, and it might be reinforcing something that you know well. So let's, let's get into this and we'll just start by praying Lord God that you would speak now. Your word is truth. Your word transforms us. It changes us. It renews our mind. And Lord, as we seek to be, become more like you every day, Lord, we pray that you would continue this good work in us right now. Spirit speak. All right. Worship. What do you think of worship? When you hear the word worship, what are you thinking of? What are you thinking of? Praising God. You're thinking Romans twelve we We'll get there. Yeah, music. It's hard not to. Uh, It's hard not to think of worship being uh, the slower songs that we sing at church, probably in a minor key, probably with contemplative lyrics. That's uh, uh, often what we we think of. When we talk about praise and worship, praise is the fast stuff, often with a, a thumping kick drum probably with a guitar solo, and worship's the slower stuff. But uh, do you think that's what God had in mind when he used the word worship uh, in Scripture? Maybe? Nah. Oh, both. Maybe. Let's see. Um, you have to bear with me. I'm just going to do a a look at a a few words, a little bit of a a quick language uh, study. Um, Worship is an English word uh, that we use to translate... uh, the Hebrew, uh, the Hebrew word shachah, which means to bow down and prostrate yourself, uh, and the Greek words proskuneo, which means to kneel in reverence, sabo, which means to revere, latruo, which means to perform sacrifices, offer gifts, and nousabei, which means to act reverently. Okay, of all the words used uh, in the Bible, the original language, none of them have anything to do with music. Okay. That doesn't mean that you can't worship God uh, musically. You certainly can, and there's plenty of scriptures talking about that. But let's start off with this understanding. None of the words in scripture that we translate as worship had anything to do with music. Okay? Let's start there. These words talked about humility, reverence, submission, honor, and sacrifice. The modern English word worship comes to us via the Old English skype And this word was a reference to worth or worthiness. Worship was a response to the esteemed worth or value of, of something. So the more it was worth to you, the more you valued it. Well, then the more of a worship response that was drawn from you. Bowing, kneeling, or lying prostrate before a person or idol was an act of showing your reverence or respect to them. It was a symbol of worship that required humility on the part of the worshiper. So the first question I want us to, to think about tonight, and what I want to do is throw some stuff out there, and I want us throughout the night to try to create some space for us to think about what this means for us. The first question is, what does the way we worship say about how we value God? Okay, what is God worth to us? What do we give him in return? See, if worship is a response to who God is and what he's done for us, how much are we giving him back? All right, that's our first, our first thought. Worship was not always as easily accessible and adult contemporary as we have made it these days. There was a time when worship cost a whole lot more. The following passage in Genesis 22 illustrates just how much it could cost. So if you could turn with me please to Genesis chapter 22 from verse 1. Genesis you'll find at the very front of your Bible if you have one with you. Verse 1, sometime later, God tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Just so you understand, this the son that he has this is the son that was the fulfillment of a huge promise uh that god had given him a massive prophecy had come true god gave him a son in his old age he was a hundred his wife was uh, advanced in age as well it was miraculous that isaac was born god had promised that isaac would be the father of, of many nations and now god's saying you need to sacrifice him and burn him whole When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He then tied his son Isaac up and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and he took the knife to kill his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over, took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said on the mountain the Lord it will be provided. It's full on. I've thought about this this story a number of times uh, since I've become a father myself. And I think, what if God had asked that of me? The, the, the story here just skips through it. The next day, Abraham got up, started cutting wood, grabbed his son and two servants, went off. He's just going to do it. It made it sound really easy. That wasn't easy for Abraham. See, my daughters weren't the, some huge biblical prophecy spoken over my life. They were a wonderful and are a wonderful gift from God. There is so much writing on this boy Isaac. Abraham just he just obeys. When Abraham and Isaac climbed Mount Moriah to worship, they didn't take a guitar. When they went to worship, what did they take? Isaac would fire. And a knife. All right. That's what they needed to worship, because that's what God had asked of them. Isaac's most relevant question was, "Where is the lamb?" Because you need something else. But Abraham had it sorted. He didn't need the lamb. Worship meant sacrifice. Something had to die. There would be blood. There would be fire. There would be smoke. It would cost the worshipper. We don't we don't we're not told where Abraham starts off from, but he's got a journey. God points him towards a mountain range. He's got to travel to the region of Moriah. He's then got to climb a mountain. And he leaves the donkey behind with his servants. So it's got to be a pretty rough trip if he can't take the donkey up with him takes all the time. It takes to cut all the wood for uh, uh, a furnace hot enough to to burn up his son. Uh, this is costly. Worship was not musical. It was sacrificial. It was hard work, and it was messy. The messiness of worship is something that we've, I think, completely missed altogether. My lovely assistant uh, this evening, Samuel, who was one of my worship leaders, is going to just try to help you get your head around the messiness of worship. Worship leaders led with knives, not with guitars. And it was, when I say messy, I mean it was proper messy. At the, uh, uh, the purification of the temple in the, in the day of Hezekiah, this is in 2 Chronicles 29, that day they ended up slaughtering, slaughtering 600 bulls and 3,000 sheep and goats. Okay, now I'm not sure if you, how much context you've got for this. I um, I have had the wonderful privilege of slaughtering a sheep, and when when you kill a, a, a live animal, um, the blood is really warm, and it's sticky, and it and you're cutting a major artery in the neck, and there's there's pressure on that, and so it spurts out. You um, it's it's you can't keep clean. It's very messy. And there's nothing you can do about it. So you try your, all you can, but you are covered in, in blood. So if we're sacrificing a ram, we're priests today. You're going to be holding this between your legs. Probably won't need this yeah, sharpening right now. Put your stone out. Right. So you're going to reach down and you're going to. You're going to pull the knife across the throat. And I'm, as a priest, I'm going, to, I'm going to catch the blood in the bowl. Okay? I'm going to catch this. I'm catching blood in the bowl. And what I will do now is I will splash. And the word is used uh, is splashed. I will splash the blood, fresh blood, over the horns of the altar. Okay? And there is a raging fire on this altar. And so the smoke is just going up and burning blood. Doesn't smell that nice, okay? Don't think roast lamb that we had, you know, that service. It's not, it's not pleasant, okay? This is scorched, burnt fat and blood. So there's blood over, over priest Sam. There's blood all over me. There's blood all over the bowl. There's blood all over the, uh, over the altar. There's blood all over the ground. This is our worship service. Front row, blood. Special over you guys. Now, I'm I'm at pains to kind of uh, describe this to you because we have a very different idea of what worship is. Thanks, bro. Let's give our lovely assistant a hand. Our worship is very clean. It's very safe. It's a comfortable 20 degrees. I can tell you I know exactly what the temperature is from our new thermostat. And it doesn't really cost us much. Worship is so comfortable now. We actually need to ask ourselves, is it even worship? When we look at what worship was through Scripture, what it cost. And we, we come to what we do now on a Sunday. The question is, uh, how is what we do here in any way similar to what God called of his people then? Am I saying that it is unbiblical or it is not worshipful to sing to God? No. Let me just clarify that. A good part of my job, what I'm paid to do, is to equip people to worship God through singing. No. No. In fact, God called his people to lift their voices in song. Psalm after psalm, raise up a shout to the Lord and praise, sing his praises, playing musical instruments. Psalm 150 just lists all the instruments that we could use. God loves our songs when they're the expression and the overflow of a heart that's submitted to him. When our songs are not the overflow and expression of a heart that is totally submitted to him. Our songs are something else altogether. And that's when our songs stop becoming worship. What did God want from Abraham? Do you think he, that God wanted him to kill his son? Do you think that's what God wanted? God needed uh, Isaac to die? Do you think God wants your money? Do you think he wants your money, that he needs it? What God wanted from Abraham was faith and obedience. Faith to trust God even when it made no sense whatsoever. Killing Isaac seemed to contradict the promise that he had spoken over his life. When God tells you to do something and it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever, it's faith that leads you to step into that. Abraham needed a lot of it. And Romans 4 says God saw that faith and credited it as righteousness. He needed faith and he needed obedience. Obedience is when we just do what God says. That is what God wanted from Abraham. And do you think that God wants anything different from us now? That is exactly what God demands of us. Faith, obedience. It's easy just to sing some songs though. Maybe throw a bit of dosh in the offering. That's easy. And so that's to some degree what we do. And we can walk away from that. We can walk away from a Sunday having sung a few songs, had, had a listen to what the preacher had to say, throw a bit of coin in the offering or you maybe sort out an automatic payment so you don't have to worry about it again. Then we can think, we're good. We have a worshipful life. But how much does it really cost? God didn't always ask for a firstborn, but whatever God asks for, the question remains. Will we give it? Will we give willingly? Will we give generously? Can we give to God in service or an offering and a gift and it not be worship? And what might that look like? Might look like some of the examples we have in Scripture of the Pharisees. In fact, we're going to look at one of those uh, in in a little bit. We see through a number of narratives in Scripture that our attitude and the manner in which we give or serve, that can demean the gift that we bring. And it can demean the one that we give it to. We can we can carry an attitude which impacts the gift that we bring. This was certainly the case in the story of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. If you're familiar with the story. Here's a couple in... in uh, in this new fledgling church, and it's, a, it's crazy times. This is, this is an era where uh, people in this new Christian community in Jerusalem are selling properties. They're selling houses and giving the proceeds to the apostles to care for the widows and orphans uh, and, and those who don't have means. They're this, this giving away wealth, huge wealth. And there's this, this one story here of a couple who they bring their gift, everyone else is doing it, or all the richies there are anyway, and they give their gift and, and the apostles ask them, well, is, is, this the, is this the whole gift? And they lie. They are giving a portion of the proceeds and they could have just said, we have an offering, it's not, it's, not, it's not everything we got from the property, but this is what we want to bring. They could have done that and it would have been sweet. But no, no, they made out, they lied and said, yep, that's, that's all we received. And uh, yeah, suffice to say, it didn't work out very well for them in the story. Read Acts chapter 5. Yeah, not a happy ending. They had a gift. They had a generous and wonderful gift. But they brought it with a heart that was greedy. They brought it with a heart that was materialistic. They brought it with a heart that was unsurrendered, with a heart that was deceptive. They were that gift, which could have been generous, suddenly wasn't generous because it was all about their pride and making it out that they were were more generous than they were. It wasn't about God. It wasn't about the widows and orphans. It was about them and how they appeared to people. So suddenly, what what could have been a wonderful gift of worship was now their death sentence as they lied to the Holy Spirit at this time, and uh, the Holy Spirit decided not to let that one go. Thankfully, he shows me a bit more grace. Worship costs. Here's another inspiring example of a true worshiper honoring God. This is 2 Samuel chapter 24. Do you want to turn there with me? love the story. 2 Samuel 24 from verse 18. On that day, Gad went to David and he said to him, Go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aravna, the Jebusite. So David went up as the Lord had commanded through Gad. And when Aravna looked and saw the king and his officials coming toward him, he went out and bowed down before the king with his face to the ground. Aravna said, Why has my lord the king come to his servant? To buy your threshing floor, David answered, so I can build an altar to the Lord that the plague on the people may be stopped. Aravna said to David, let my lord the king take whatever he wishes and offer it up. Here are oxen for the burnt offering, and here are threshing sledges and ox yokes for the wood. Your majesty, Aravna, gives all this to the king. Aravna also said to him, may the Lord your God accept you. But the king replied to Aravna, no, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen and paid 50 shekels of silver for them. David built an altar to the Lord there and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. And then the Lord answered his prayer in behalf of the land, and the plague on Israel was stopped. Uh, Aravna's gift to David would honor David as a... Uh, As a vassal was giving something special to the king, it honored the king, but it would not honor God. And that's what this was about. David's offering had to cost him personally, and he knew it. Aravna offered David an easy, cheap way to obey God and save his people, but it was not the right way. Worship isn't supposed to be easy. It's not supposed to be cheap. Cheap worship cheapens the one we worship. It tells him he's not worth paying the full cost. How cheap have we made our worship? The next question to consider is, how does worshiping God actually cost us at all today? Um... What I do on on stage every Sunday, what it costs me really, is about an hour and a half sleep. That's about it. I am personally so edified when I grab a guitar or the bass or something and get up there. That's who I am. I, I would do that whether I worked here or not, or I'd play something if I was even if I was a Christian or not. Music is wide into who I am. So. It's not really serving for me to play guitar or bass in a church service. I'm blessed by it. I love it. It's a joy for me. So in terms of cost, it's about an hour and a half sleep. Sometimes I feel it more than others. But in terms of me wanting to give a gift to my king, to make a real offering that shows him how much I I love him and how much he's worth to me. I could probably do better than ninety minutes of sleep. So this, this isn't my sacrifice. Nothing is really costing me here. So, what is? What can our sacrifice be? This is, at some point, this really needs to. The rubber needs to hit the road. What is the sacrifice today? Because just. In, in case you were thinking I was going down the wrong track, I am not calling for the reinstatement of animal sacrifice. No, we uh, don't need to do that anymore. Hebrews made it very clear that the blood of, of animals just doesn't do anything. God's not looking for that. But in Romans 12, we read, Romans 12, 1, Offer your bodies... As living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, this is your spiritual act of worship. Do you think we are really doing this when we sing a few songs together in a church service? The worship that Paul is talking about here goes way beyond a a jumping, thumping Planet Shakers song or a deep, meditative Bethel ballad. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. The good thing about an animal sacrifice is that once you've cut its throat, it's not going to go anywhere, except if it's a chicken. Anything else pretty much except the chicken, once, you, once you've killed it, it's staying where you, where you left it, where you cut its throat. Okay, So if you put that on the altar, it stays on the altar. The problem with a living sacrifice is we don't stay on the altar. All right? When we give ourselves to the Lord, we make sacrifices for him. We put ourselves up on this altar. We sacrifice some part of our life. We sacrifice sovereignty and say, God, you are Lord. You are king of me. You're the boss. You get to make the calls. We're on the altar. We're offered to him. And we're supposed to stay there. In his purifying fire. We stay in the fire on the altar and we are sanctified. We are purified and we all the rubbish is burnt off us when we stay offered to God on the fire in his presence seeking him. We're living sacrifices though, so we don't stay there. We get off the altar and go offer ourselves to some other idol. Idol, I'm not talking about A little Buddha statue in the lounge an idol is anything that you give priority to over God anything whatsoever and we make an idol of everything and so we we get off the altar because we're alive we offer ourselves to some other thing and the sacrifice the worship is gone we can't help ourselves But we need to help ourselves. As living sacrifices, we need to keep placing ourselves back on the altar. Every day, we make a conscious decision. I am yours. You are my Lord. I give myself to you. And then that day, we try to follow that up with a life that is consistent with trying to honor God. What does that look like? Jesus told us himself how we can show him that we love him. And it turns out, uh, we, it's not always with a song. In John 14, he says three times, If you love me, obey my commands. Obedience, not flattery, is what God desires. And that, more than pretty songs, truly demonstrates we love him. I'm not sure what 40 minutes of obedience time would look like on a, in a Sunday service. But that's what he really wants. The principle of action speaking louder than words is one that Jesus drove home emphatically to those who consider themselves religious. Quoting Isaiah twenty nine thirteen, Jesus condemned the hypocritical Pharisees. In Mark seven, verse six and seven he said, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain, their teachings are merely human rules. God loathes hypocrisy. The people that you would kind of think he would be having a go at in, in, in Scripture, in the Gospels, you'd think he'd be going against all the people that you know public Christians go after in society here. He'd be going after homosexuals, probably. He'd be going after people who uh, are involved in the abortion industry. He'd be going after the motion picture industry, uh, Hollywood, that kind of thing. He'd be going after drug dealers, prostitutes. Whereas, as it happens, the people that he actually went after and raised his voice to were the religious people. That, that, that was the group of people that he had problems with. People who had issues in their lives, people who were broken, who had addictions, they were drawn to him. And his response was grace. But he had stern words for religious people who were full of judgment. And these are the people who are saying, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. Your worship is vanity. Amos chapter 5, verse 23 and 24. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice roll on like a river. Righteousness like a never failing stream. Hebrews 13, 15, and 16. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. And there's another in James chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. If our lifestyle does not reflect the sentiment of the songs we sing, which is a life of humble submission, a life that honors Him, and responds gratefully to his benevolence and worthiness, then our worship is in vain. We are wasting our breath. We are wasting our time. The answer is not to stop singing, though. The answer is to start living for him. I think the songs we sing are a great vision for where we want to be heading. When we sing about submission, that we're setting up the goalpost. That's what I'm aiming for. But we can't leave it in here and think just because we sang it, we're good. If we sing it and don't try to live it, we're hypocrites. The worship that God has called us to is expressed in acts of justice and mercy and compassion. Our songs point back to God to give him Glory. But the true glory for him is found in the miracle of a life that is being transformed into the likeness of Christ. That is what he's looking for. God made me musical. I love music. It is one of my primary expressions, and I love playing and singing to him. But I know that the songs we sing to God will be nothing if our lives aren't singing the same tune. The heart of worship is a humble response to who God is, and what he has done. It doesn't need to be flesh. It needs to be sincere. And it should cost us something. So the final questions I want to leave you with tonight are these. And tonight we've going to, um, the rest of the service is just, is going to be a little bit different. I didn't want to speak at you for 40 minutes on worship is not singing and then say, right, cool. Now let's sing four meditative worship songs. What I want us to do now is I want us to think about what this means for us. Something has to be different when we walk out there because we're, we're pretty good at worshiping in the room where it doesn't really mean that much. But what happens when we walk out those doors? So here's a few things that I want us just to, to, just to ha- take some time now, just to think about them. Uh, and in a second, these are going to go up on the, on the screen. I want us just to, just to explore these now prayerfully with God. What does this mean for me? What is he worth to you? What that is, that's a meditation on who he is and what he has done for you. Because worship, whether whether it's in song or whether it's in offering and service and sacrifice, worship is a response to who he is and what he has done. So what is he worth to you? What are you willing to give him in worship? What are you prepared to sacrifice? Next question, what does he really desire from you? We've decided that God wants songs from us. And so every Sunday, two services will give him about 40 minutes of songs because that's what we've decided he wants from us. What is he really looking for from us? What is he really looking for from you personally? Because right throughout Scripture, you see what he asked of people. It's very subjective. It was different. He asked Abraham for his son. That was what Abraham needed to give. And it turns out all he needed to do was be prepared to give the gift. David had to uh, buy a threshing floor. Actually, he had to, as it turns out, buy a whole mountaintop. Uh, That's in another scripture in, in, in Chronicles. But that was what David had to do. Your offering the sacrifice God requires from you could be something completely different. But the question is, are you prepared to give it? And next, in what ways could your life come to reflect a heart of worship more? Is there anything in your life that would demonstrate to people that you are submitted to God and that you are seeking to honor Him? All right, so we're just going to leave these questions up here. And I've asked the guys if they could minister to you, uh, which is something which is closer to the way the musical... Priests and the Levites uh, in Scripture actually worked wasn't always leading people necessarily in congregational worship, but they were equipped spiritually and practically to minister over people, and they would they would sing and play over people. And the words of this song, I think speak to the heart of, of this message that it's it's more than a song. The heart at the heart of worship is a response to who Jesus is. So, they're going to going to sing for us a bit and. Just, pray that these words would minister to you and we'll just take some time just to reflect on these words and, and as we do that father god i just pray that you would continue to speak now to your people that you would confirm your word and that what comes from you lord and you would inscribe these things on our heart anything that's not of you lord i pray that it'd just be forgotten but lord i pray that you'd minister to us now and you'd lead us to the what next Oh, Lord, we know that you're, you're not just into this thing tonight. You're into tomorrow and the day after that and the week after that. The people that you were growing us into, Lord. So I pray that you would show us what the next step is and what the step is after that. How can we walk closer to you, closer to your truth, closer to the likeness of your son? Speak, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.
1: No, all is stripped away and is simply gone. a longing just to. away and the simply come longing just to